wonderful to see so many in the last time the restrictions were uh, fierce and we were having to deal with them all but praise the Lord we're, we're moving forward and uh, listen I, I want to just say again what a joy I, I can't wait till my wife is able to come down here with me at some point in the future the last time I was here my son was here uh, and we went back and said you oh what a, what, a, what, a, what a morning what a meeting but our kids are still young she's still looking after them and uh, one day she'll hopefully get down uh, and experience. And, and let me say this, God's doing something here. He, he truly is. And, and don't miss it. You know, sometimes we, in church life, we can miss what God is doing because of our, our own insecurities, our own hurts, uh, others, many different reasons. And we can miss out what God is doing. And, and I have traveled many places over the years and I can honestly say God is doing something here. Amen. He is doing something here. Grab it, hold it, and go for it. Yes. Pastor John, thank you for this invite. I, I thank God that you have uh, come into my life and, and been a blessing. I truly mean that. And I know sometimes it's like us preachers like to scratch each other's backs. <laughs> but that's the truth. I, I honestly do thank God for Pastor John. So listen, let, let us go to the Word. Uh, in Proverbs 29, one verse, in verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law happy is he. Father, glorify your name. Exalted and lifted high because there is no one like Jesus. Amen. And Father, I just ask, Lord, that the word of God, Lord, would not just be, Lord, delivered with the voice of a man, but that your spirit, Lord, would take it to the hearts of people. Yes. That they would, Lord, hear the voice of God this morning and capture the heart of God. And that, Father, that this wee church would do something incredible in this city and even in this nation for the glory of God and the souls of men and women. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to talk to you about vision and the author of vision and the importance of vision. And the necessity of vision, not just from a church point of view or an individual, but from God's point of view. The understanding of Solomon is that where there is no vision, the people perish. And, uh, and, and happy is he that keepeth the law. He understood that the context of the greatest vision for man was contained in Scripture. Vision outside of the scripture is no vision whatsoever. He understood, now he was talking of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and he understood the context that within that framework held the greatest vision for man, the greatest vision for life, what it was to live and live before God. He understood the complexities of life, but he understood the nature of God. He understood what, the, what the, the, the scriptures brought. He understood that they brought life 
And we know the law killeth. We, we, we know the law brought condemnation, but he understood in God the greater context and the hope that there was in the scriptures. Hallelujah. And he understood that. And, and, and when we get saved and we begin to learn and we begin to be disabled, we understand that the, this book holds life. And not only does it hold life, it shows you Jesus, the author of life. Hallelujah. And we begin to see that the Bible is so much more than just a book. It's a person. Hallelujah. It's about Jesus Christ in his glory. And we begin to understand as that unfolds. But we begin to understand that God is the author of vision. And how do we see that? Because, because here's what we believe according to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We believe through faith that the world, what, was formed by the word of God. That's what we believe. Now here's the question. Were you there when it was created? No. Do you know anybody that was there? No. Well then, how do you know it was created the way it was? Because the Bible tells us by faith we believe. Now the angels were there. Because the Bible says that as God created, they began to clap. That was what Job says. They clapped as he created this magnificent world. Something of beauty, something of awe, something incredible. But it wasn't for the angels. Then he created animals and he created lights and he created stars. And he created vegetation. And he created something so incredible. And then on the sixth day, he created Adam. And he created Eve. And he says, this is yours. Everything he created was for them. It wasn't Adam's vision. It wasn't Eve's vision. It was God's vision. It was God's vision for man to live in a world without pain, without sorrow, without hurt, without pain, without death. It was God's vision to say to Adam, all of this. It's yours. All of this domain I'm giving you till the ground, all by all means work, but it is yours, hallelujah. And what I'll do, I'll have fellowship with you. Wow, that is the incredible vision of God. But, there, but folks, there was a day when they messed it up because that's what we do. And they messed it up and they hide, the Bible says, they, they hide, God comes looking, Adam, where are you? Now, now folks, listen, God knew where Adam was, yes. but he's hiding. Where are you, Adam? I'm hiding. Why? Because Eve tricked me. It's brilliant, isn't it, that the man just always liked to point the finger to the wife. And then Eve says, well, he tricked me. We love to have the blame game. That's what we do. But God says, and they should have been grinded to powder there and then. But God says, I'm going to take an animal. I'm going to sled. First murder, really. The first death. I'm going to kill it. And I'm going to skin it. And I'm going to cover you with it. Whose vision was that, folks? 
It wasn't Adam's. Adam didn't come up with the idea, well, Lord, why don't we skin this animal and somehow no God said, I will do it. You see, God had the vision to see beyond even their sin. He had the vision to preserve the, the human race. All chaos came, death came, pain came, sin came, tears came, depression came, every anxiety in the world came. It all came. But God still provided a way for us to go on. And then there comes a time, there comes a time when the world has become so wicked, so evil, so, so hurtful, so violent. God finally comes to a man and says, Noah, would you build me an ark? And, and not only that, Noah, here's the measurements, here's the wood, here's every bit of information you will need. Whose vision was that, folks? God's. Noah at any point had an had a interference of the plans that God had. And to top it all off, Noah, you're going to be bringing the animals on this trip with you. Wow. He didn't have a say. He had no claim in the work. It was the work of God. He just exercised it. But it was God's great vision. Why? Why was it the vision of God? What was the purpose? To save humanity. To save the souls of man. To save, to take, to understand and display to the world. I'm a God of mercy. Yes, I'm going to judge it for all its wickedness. But in that judgment, there's mercy. Because he's a God who delights in mercy. And so was Noah's building. Noah, who told you to do this? I can, see, I can see this unfolding. As people come, Noah, what planet are you on? You're building an ark. And folks, what you have to bear in mind, never to this point was there a drop of rain. It never rained. Jew came on the ground and watered the land, but it had never, ever rained. Yeah, rain's coming. Noah, you've lost it. You can see it unfold. I'm building it. Who told you to build it? God. Ach, no, you've really lost it. Because they had so far removed from God, his purpose, his revelation. No, God has given me the vision. But there was a day that vision became reality. And that was the hard reality. But then, after Noah, the world starts over again. If you understand anything of the context of Genesis, it just goes, it, it, it just again goes from good, Noah, his family, the, the, the daughter or the wives, and the, and the world begins to just function again. And this time, hopefully we'll do better. But the reality of it is, by the time we get to Genesis 11, it's chaos. They're back in the idol worship. They're back in the worship in the moon and, 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 and everything's about ideology. It's as if God has faded out again and they, they want to build this massive tower. It's, it's the self-promotion. It's look what we can do. God comes to a man called Abraham and says, I want you to get out of your father's house because I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna use you. 
You're going to be a blessing to the world. You're going to be blessed. Nations are going to be blessed. In fact, all people of the world are going to be blessed, Abraham, because of you. So I want you to leave. Why is that significant? Because there was never at any point did Abraham have this idea. God came to Abraham and says, I want you to get out. And go to a country that you know not of. Why is that significant, folks? Because it wasn't Abraham's vision, it was God's. And as Abraham unfolds, and as he begins to go through his life, and he begins to understand what is beginning to happen, how God has dealt with him, and as, as Isaac comes along, and, and, and all that begins to unfold, even there and then, as, as Jacob and Esau comes along, and then everything's unfolding in the plan of God, a God's great vision, but God had even a greater vision, because in the mind of God, there, there came finally Jacob, but it wasn't really about Jacob, it was now about birth of a nation, called Israel. As he begins to unfold it, hallelujah, God has this plan because back at the start of Genesis, he promised of a seed of a woman. Yes. It's incredible. And some people think the Bible was written by men of intelligence. Come on. It was written by ordinary men inspired of the Holy Ghost. But if we get to Jacob and Jacob finally catches it and finally catches the revelation and wrestles with God that he's going to be a nation then unfolds out of him sons and then unfolds from there this this moment where they all have a, a brainwave let's sell our, our brother Joseph because we don't like him wow can God really do anything with this family you ever look at a family and ask can God do something with it look at, look at Jacob and his family listen it's incredible. They finally sell him. He ends up in Egypt. He's forgotten. But somebody hasn't forgotten him. God Almighty. The hand of God's upon him. He prospers in everything he does. Hallelujah. Everything he puts his hand to, the hand of God touches him. And it begins to unfold. And as we see God and his providence bring them back down from Egypt, or from, from where they are to Egypt, and, and as it unfolds in the famine, he reunites with his brothers. Oh, folks, it's incredible, but there they stay. And they begin to build a life in Egypt. And you would almost think that God does not know what he's doing, but he knows exactly what he's doing. Because as they begin to build this life in Egypt, they begin to understand and they begin to work. All of a sudden, they, they, Moses is raised up. And you think it was an accident that he just managed to get to Pharaoh's house, to Pharaoh's daughter, and arrive right at her feet. No. no. And you think it was an accident that, that she says to him, lifting him, seeing it was a hoobry baby, knowing that they're supposed to be killed, goes back and says to his mom, here, you nurse him and I'll pay you. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. It's incredible! And God provides everything. It's amazing. Yes. Because why? We have a God of vision, folks. Amen. It's incredible. And then as that unfolds, and I'm trying to go quick as that unfolds, and he gets to about 40, he realized his, 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 his true kin, his true family, his true people. And we see that unfolding. He finally does wrong doing. He runs from Egypt, he's the heir, and he runs and he goes into the, into the desert. And there he's content. 
just to live his life as a shepherd until he sees a burning bush. And when he sees that burning bush, he's intrigued and he walks to it because burning bushes are not supposed to keep burning. And as he walks and he sees and he understands and he hears a voice, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And he begins to unfold him. I am the great I am. It was the highest name that God could give. I am. There was no name higher than I am. And he says to him, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. You're going to go and deliver them. Moses says, there's not a chance. There's no way I could do it. Look, I'm on the run. I know a lot of people have been on the run. I couldn't go back. You're going more. Because I'm about to tell you what I'm about to do. <laughs> I want you to go and I want you to take your brother and I want you to take your staff. Because I'm going to destroy the gods of Egypt. Whose plan was that? God's. And then as we begin to does the miraculous in God, does something incredible and, 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 and something so wonderful and finally brings them out and he brings them into a place and into the wilderness and he says, I'll be your God. And he gives them a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day and he begins to lead them. Folks, it's a God of vision as he begins to take them through. Hallelujah. He provides for them. He looks after them. Oh, he gives them clothes that never wear out. He gives them shoes that never wear out. He gives them food from heaven. Everything is vision. Everything is purposeful. Everything is, oh, I love you. I'm going to provide everything you'll ever need. He begins to give them the law. He begins to, he, 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 he begins to unfold to them the tabernacle. Why? Because he's a God that then comes and says, I want to be in the middle of your life. The whole purpose of the tabernacle was for God to be right in the center of their life. When you understand the dimensions of the, of, of, of the camp, you had, you had a, the camp down this side, two in the, 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 sorry, the south, the north, east and west. And what that made from a bird's eye view was the shape of a cross. Don't check it out. But right in the middle was the tabernacle. And what was the tabernacle hosting? The holy of holies. What was that? That was the place where God resided. He was saying, I want to be right in the middle of your life. Church this morning, God wants to be right in the middle of your life. With all that is going on, all that is happening, right in the middle of it. And as he unfolds again this incredible vision of a nation, and we know the history of the nation, that is there up and down, there are failures, there's, there's great victories. But they're a nation of up and down that was supposed to reflect the glory of God. They reflect something different to the nations. But as they're up and down, there was something incredible about this nation. 
because God had promised through this nation and through this line. And out of the, uh, the, the tribe of Judah would spring forth, hallelujah, a lion. As he would spring forth, the Messiah would come, hallelujah. And the whole purpose of this, this tribe, the whole purpose of this, this people was this one thing, that out of them would come the Messiah. Folks, whose idea was that? Who? Come on. And on that great night, on that great night, when the angels appeared to some shepherds, Oh, glory to God in the highest. See, man never had a claim on this. Glory to God in the highest for unto you this day in the city of David, a savior is born. Whose plan was that? I'm gonna ask this a lot this morning. Whose plan was that, folks? God's, God's plan that Jesus would come, that the Savior of the world would be born. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that the hosts of heaven, now, if you know anything about the host of heaven, that is the military wing of the angels' armies. That's why they're called the hosts. That's why when you go the whole way back to Joshua, and Joshua meets a man as he's about to take Jericho with a man standing with a sword by his side and introduces himself, and he says, are you us or against us and the man says I am the captain of the Lord of hosts well who was that Jesus Christ oh folks it's incredible and here the one who commands the hosts of heaven is born in a manger wow it's marvelous and then as it unfolds, Jesus is born. We know his life as a child is very much hid. But there's a day that he jumps, or the Bible jumps and gives us a, a picture. And as he comes into a point and place where he's in the temple in Luke 4 and 18, he gets the scroll of Isaiah. And this says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach deliverance to the captives, to set at liberty them that are blind, to heal the brokenhearted, and set the captive free. Whose vision was that, folks? He came with a mindset, and he declared, I am coming because there is people in this world hurting. They are broken and they are bruised. Their hearts are in pain and in agony. Some are even in prisons that aren't with bars. They're in a prison of their mind, in a prison of their own torture, in a prison of their own making even. He says, I am come to set them free. I am come to preach the gospel to the poor. Oh, folks, all of us were poor. I don't care how much you got in the bank. You were poor in your spirit and in your soul. And when Jesus walked in, he made you alive. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He made you alive. And as he goes, and I, lo I love this. 
I don't know whether this is a Northern Ireland word or not. I told you I'm from the North, didn't I? I just thought I would remind you of that. <laughs> Thank you for welcoming me into the South, by the way. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, where was I? Northern Ireland word. He goes and he acquires a motley bunch of people. You heard that word before? Motley bunch of people. Fisherman. Roughed and rugged. Foul mouthed. Con artists. Cheats. Could you imagine the savior of the world rocking down the streets of Jerusalem with fishermen, tax collectors, and a zealot, and Judas. <laughs> These are the men. They're about to turn the world upside down. What? You have got to be kidding me. Could you, now listen, you gotta get into the mind of Christ. Could you imagine Pastor John? I'm not to single anybody out or derogatory anybody, but I'm pulling rough, ragged fishermen, foul-mouthed, con artists and cheats. A zealot, what's a zealot? A zealot was an assassin, a tax collector against his own people who robbed his own people. Could you imagine Pastor John rocking down the streets of Dublin? Well, this is the crew. We're gonna win the city. What? Could you imagine it? You would look at him and go, you got to be kidding me. I'd be looking for doctors, bankers, lawyers, fishermen. Okay, come on. We, we would look, we would look and go, there's not a chance they're winning the world. They're not even gonna win their neighbor. There's not a chance. But it's not what we see. What he says. He's seen in Peter a leader. He's seen in James and John. Now listen, I gotta get into James and John. The two of them were up themselves. That's the truth. You're financially wealthy in terms of a family. Oh, but they had tickets on themselves. Their mum had tickets on themselves. Sure, let my son sit beside you in the kingdom. But these are the people that win the world. Self-righteous, but Jesus seen beyond it all. You know, you may be sitting here today and you may be saying, what can Jesus really do with me? Only if you could see what he can see, then you might begin to believe. Do you remember Gideon? Gideon, mighty man of valor. Oh, I don't see that, Lord. I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the poorest in my father's house. And here I am, hiding in a wine press, threshing out white. Ah, but Gideon, it's not about what you see. It's about what I say. And folks, we have got to. We have got to get to the place where we begin to allow God to see in us, we need to see ourselves in that light. We need to believe what he sees in us. 
And the world says you can't, God says you can't. You can't preach, he says you can't. You can win nobody, he says you can't. How can I reach the broken and the hurting? He says you can't. You see, he took this group of monthly putting together people, Judas and mix as well. He finally, thankfully, moves out of the road, but he finally gets them together. And he says to Peter, he says, Peter, I'm gonna leave you with again some insight into the future. Because upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter probably looked at him and went, I don't really understand it, Lord. It sounds wonderful, but I can't grasp it. But that was all right because he didn't need to grasp it there and then. But he says, I'm building a church. The first time we hear the word church. And he reveals it to Peter. Whose vision was the church? It's brilliant. It says. He says, Peter, I'm just letting you in on it. But upon this rock, speaking of himself, I'm going to build it. And the gates of hell will never prevail. They will never shatter it. Oh, they will come, they will try. But I'm going to build it. And he says, and I'm giving it to you. And there was a time when he comes. And, and after that's over, he says to them, he says, but that's time I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross because I'm going to die for the sin of the world and for the glory of my Father in heaven. And that was, that was Christ. Why? When he gets to the garden, not my will, but mine be done. He was being crushed. He was shedding, as it were, great drops of blood. He was in agony, the Bible says. It says he needed to be strengthened by an angel. He was broken, he was hurt, he, he, he was beginning to feel the pangs, the death was around the corner. He knew the cross was coming. Don't let me die. I need to get to the cross. Why? Why did he need to get to the cross? Because the Bible says before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Hallelujah. Now whose vision was that? Hallelujah. Before it all, in the mind of God, there was the cross. Was the cross. And it was God's vision that Christ would come and walk this world and die upon a cross for the souls of men. I love the thought in the song. It's about him on the cross. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I don't know the great theology and all of that, but I do believe that throughout the vision of the mind of eternity, Christ was on a cross in the eye of eternity. There was a day he seen through the vision of God that Lee McClellan would bow his knee and surrender his life to Jesus. 
And in the vision in the mind of God, there was a day when you bowed your knee. He's seen it on the cross. Why? Because he's the God of vision. Then as he, as he dies and resurrects, he comes back to the disciples and the followers of Jesus and he tells them to wait. Wait for 50 days. Because on that day, the day of Pentecost, I'm going to pour out the Spirit of God. And you're going to be in part. And you're going to be filled. And everything's going to make sense. Because the Holy Spirit's come and he's going to be your teacher. And he's going to bring all things to your remembrance. Everything I ever said, he's going to bring it back to you. And you're going to fully understand. And, and folks, it's incredible because... They never knew the weight on the Holy Spirit. They never understood the waiting process, but God knew because he had the vision to see there's coming a day, the Spirit's gonna pour upon you. And as he pours it out, as he pours it out, hallelujah, the church is birthed. They're filled with the Spirit. They pray in tongues, there's tongues of fire. But they knew that the church was not to be confined to an upper room. Could you imagine if the vision only pertained to an upper room? We wouldn't be here this morning. They knew the vision was for the church. And what did that really mean? To get up from the upper room and to go onto the street and tell the world about Jesus. Hallelujah. And we begin to see that unfold in the book of Acts, chapter two and three. After they're filled, they didn't say, let's stay here. And listen, I love this this morning. I love this. And this is, there's a time for this. And there's a time to come together. There's a time to shout hallelujah. There's a time even like Pastor John to run around the building, hallelujah. I would love to have joined you, John. Not as fit as you. <laughs> there's a time for all that. But there's a time. But we have to say, oh no, the church is even greater vision than that. There's a time to go out onto the street and to stand and proclaim the glory of God, the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost. There's a claim that Peter and the disciples and the followers of Jesus grasp. They knew, they knew where to tell the world. And the Bible says they go and they preach and they hear them in their own tongue, their own native tongue. And the Bible says 3,000 souls were saved that day. Why? Because we have a God of vision. He didn't keep it the 120. He saved 3,000 people. People say, oh, Pastor Lee, you get hooked up about numbers at times. So did the Bible. Because it told me there was 3,000 people that get saved. It didn't say many. It was specific. It then went on to say, and there was every day added to the church daily. Why? Because God is a vision. 
Pastor John touched on it. If, if all we do is sit back, shrink back, and become tight, and the tight people are the worst people in the world, then what will happen is we'll die. We'll have no vision. You know, let's believe, folks. Can, can we look at the seats beside you? Let's believe that God may fill them. Why not? Do you want me to tell you what I used to do? Uh, what time have I left, Pastor John? I don't, I don't want to stretch it like chewing gum, you know. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but here's the truth. When I first started our church, I, you got to understand, I left a church of, of nearly 2,000 people to start a church with me and my wife and four kids. You got to understand. I thought I was mad. People around me thought I was mad. Was mad, and my dad thought I was absolutely crazy. <laughs> and then, as the year went on, I began to think that that he was right and I was wrong. It was ten to twelve of us sitting in a church to help two hundred people every Sunday morning. And I says, Lord, I left, I left. I brought my family out of that to this. Do you know the only thing that kept me was the vision he given me. It's the only thing. But you know what I used to do? I used to go to the prayer meeting in our church on a Thursday night. Do you know who Turned up. No one else. My wife. And I used to turn up on a Thursday night. Flayed it. And I used to think to myself, I'll just maybe go home. Do you know what I started to do? Get the chairs in our church and pray over them. It sounds bonkers. You see, when I told my wife, she looked at me. Are you all right, Lee? Week after week after week, it was just me. It was as if God had just allowed me to be alone. And week after week, I used to give my hands in the chairs. Hands in the chair, so I've got 200 of them. Just hands on, hands on, hands on. Lord, I could see it. I could see faces, I could see bodies, I could see souls, I could see lives being changed, I could see souls getting saved, I could see hands going up. And, and folks, it sounds crazy, but it was something God imparted. It was the vision. And as I began to do that, as I began to unfold, oh, listen, yeah, I'm about to say to you, oh, I thought revival was coming. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't. In fact, the wee man came and says, I'm sorry, Pastor Lee, but I'm kicking you out of the church. What? What about our three-year agreement? I'm sorry. I'm canceling it. I'm selling the building. What about the vision? 
What about fish? Oh, I thought I was over. I thought we were over. God done a miracle. He got us another wee church. To fast forward this, let me say this. We never understand the methods of God at times. We don't. I took ill with COVID, you know the story. Little did, little did I know when I went in the, the, the world wasn't in lockdown then. I went in with COVID. And when I came, when, when I was going through all, all that I was, I, I, was, I came out of hospital. I had no church. We were closed down. We fell back down to about 15 people and I had no job. Had nothing. I was sitting in my dressing gown. Two days out of hospital trying to work out how can we get some money. Our congregation was obliterated because we were mostly made up of people on drugs and alcohol. We had a few people that were our offering per week was 125 pounds. Our rent was 300. Our electric was 50 and our insurance was 45. There was no money for a wage. I was sitting in the dressing gown at the computer. The computer says no. <laughs> I get furlough or furlough because I was unemployed. And then it says, can I get self-employment benefit? You can't because you haven't been self-employed for a year. What can I do? The church was closed. We were reduced like many to Zoom. About 12 to 15 of us turned up and said, folks, I, I was a, we were obliterated. We were obliterated. Little did I know that 43 million people were going to see me sitting in a dressing gown tell a story about a cleaner. Hallelujah, come and visit me. Little did I know that as my wife often points out, Lee, do you realize that when you were doing your video, you had shaving foam in your ear? And that 43 million people have seen you in your dressing gown and with, with shaving foam in your ear. No, Joanne, it didn't call her Joanne. But you know who's seen? The God of all vision. And you know what was incredible? I'll fast forward again. You know what was incredible? Last week we celebrated five years of the Ark Church in Belfast. Do you know that all those seats I laid my hands on, every single one of them was filled. Glory. All glory goes to heaven. Why? Because he is the God of vision. Let me finish on this. Could you imagine 
if the church lost its vision. And the sad reality is many churches have. Could you imagine if we lost our vision that souls could be saved? Could you imagine if we lost our vision that drug addicts and alcoholics couldn't be set free? Could you imagine if we lost the vision that marriages couldn't be put back together? Could you imagine if we lost the vision that families couldn't be reconciled? Could you imagine if we lost the vision that God can no longer heal the body? Could you imagine if we lost the vision that God can no longer do miracles? And if we have lost that vision, we are better to close the doors. But if we have still got the vision that he has, then we keep the doors open and we preach with all of our might that Jesus Christ is still in the business of changing lives. Hallelujah! 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 He is still in the business of changing lives. He is still. Until the day I die, I will preach that. He is still in the business of changing lives. To you that are in Dublin, I beseech you, tell your city that Jesus Christ is still in the business of changing lives. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Give it to them. Tell them. Because of it, you might be the answer to someone's life. Is there someone here this morning that would give their life to Jesus Christ? Sin has crippled you, destroyed you, but you're here in the presence of God. And he wants to save you right now. And there's maybe even somebody in here and you think you're saved, but you have never really encountered Jesus. Give your life to him. What he can do with you.